0: Get ten- the following program is sponsored by Truth Incorporated.
1: Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy.
2: Perhaps the worst form of tragedy is wanting something badly and getting it and finding it empty. That pay raise, that better home, that third car, that exotic vacation, did it do it for you? It was all vanity, all empty, all a soap bubble. Life doesn't consist in the things that we possess.
1: It's been said we can either learn by experience or observation. And today on Know the Truth, Philip de Corsi gives us an opportunity to learn from the wisdom of Solomon recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes. We know Solomon made many mistakes despite the divine wisdom given to him by God. So, in this new series titled Quest for the Best, we're learning to observe his errors and apply God's wisdom so that we can live without regrets. Let's go to the powerful message titled The Road to Nowhere
2: invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the modus operandi's of the pulpit here at Kindred is just to start in a book and work verse by verse, and that's what we're going to do. This is a series I've called The Quest for the Best, because in this book Solomon seeks to come to an understanding about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life in a mean world? And that's what we're going to try and answer and get our heads and hearts around over these next succeeding months. The quest for the best. We're just going to begin by introducing the book, kind of look at its authorship, its place, the preacher, the text, and the sermon, which is verses 1 through 3. Now, for a few moments, I want to look at the authorship, the date, the audience and the purpose, and we'll stop there, and then we'll actually look at the book next time we're together, verses one through three: the preacher, the text, the sermon. But you and I are going to be in this book for a while, and we need to understand its background and and its basis. So let's answer the question of authorship first. Don't see this as tedious. It's important that we establish the fact, as I believe, that Solomon wrote the book because then his life becomes the backdrop to every passage you read. And it makes it live. This guy did all that he is writing about. There's a certain authority and authenticity to this just by matter of the fact that Solomon wrote it. Who wrote it? Solomon. I believe that. Now, some questions have been raised about Solomonic authorship, but I think the evidence points clearly in his direction for a number of reasons. One, the author describes himself in verse one as the preacher. Now, the author never tells us who he is, you know, it's not like Paul who tells us at the beginning of his letters, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But the author describes himself as the preacher, Koheleth in the Hebrew, it means um, one who speaks to an assembly of people. And I think if you read 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 1, we don't have time to do it. 1 Kings 8, 54 through 61, you'll find that King Solomon often addressed a gathering of the royal court or some leaders in Israel. He certainly was a Kohalath within the nation of Israel, a preacher, a teacher, one who addressed an audience. Secondly. The author tells us that he was the son of David, verse 1, king in Jerusalem. He tells us in verse 12 that he was king over Israel in Jerusalem. He tells us in verse 16 that he had more wisdom and knowledge than anyone before him in Jerusalem. Historical research tells us that Solomon was the only son of King David who was king over Jerusalem. You can read about it in 1 Kings eleven forty one through 43. We're doing good. Two things match up. What about a third thing? The autobiographical profile of the book and the author that writes it perfectly lines up with the kind of life that Solomon lived. He was a man marked by wisdom and wealth and works. And you read about it in Ecclesiastes 1, Ecclesiastes 2 also. And you find corresponding historical data in 1 Kings 3:12, 1 Kings 5:13 through 16, and 1 Kings 10:14 through 20. Solomon was a man of unrivalled wisdom, a man of unparalleled achievement, and a man of incomparable wealth. And this author seems to be a man who has had an exposure to much learning. Whatever his his eyes saw or desired. He had, took. Money was not an object. He could buy and sell anybody. We read of the accomplishments of this man, his wisdom, his his material affluence, and it all seems to match up well with Solomon. Fourthly and finally, Jewish tradition ascribes the book of Solomon, or the book to Solomon. And Christian thinkers were unanimous about it up until recently. That's the author, Solomon. And we'll, we'll make good use of that as we go through the book. What's the date? Once Solomon is established as the author, the date and the occasion of the book more naturally falls into place. King Solomon was writing probably towards the end of his days. If, if Proverbs is a practical path to wisdom, Ecclesiastes is a reflective path to wisdom. This book is marked by reflection. Solomon is searching, investigating... That's why in chapter 12 it say, "Here's the conclusion of the matter that I give myself to search." And I think you've got a man here who's looking back on life. This is a man in the twilight years of his days. And so that puts the book no later than 931 before BC. Solomon wrote three books, right? Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. I think the Song of Solomon was written early in his life. It's a poem on the love he had for his bride. It scintillates with passion and eroticism for her body, mind, and soul. It's a book on marital love. I think it was written early on in his life. I think the book of Proverbs was written towards the middle of his life. He had lived Long enough to learn some lessons and pass them on, because that's what proverbs are—they are truths and maxims that that wise men have observed as they have lived life and looked at others' lives. They are reality sign bites, and Solomon gives us many of those in the book of Proverbs for our for our edification. And I think Ecclesiastes is his final book, towards the end of his life, as he looks back and regrets that he got away from the Lord. He gave himself to this present world, to borrow Paul's description of Demas. And he's come back with bruises and scars from that to tell us, you know what, young people, that's not a path to life. That's a road to nowhere. And so the Song of Solomon is a book of romance, and the book of Proverbs is a book of rules, and the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of regrets. And the good thing is that we can learn on the cheap. We can learn on the cheap at his cost. You know, when you're young, you've got all sorts of questions, but no answers. When you're older, you've got all sorts of answers, but nobody wants to ask you any questions. It's pretty frustrating, isn't it? You've got so much wisdom you want to pass on, but nobody's talking to you. Well, Solomon's old and he decides he's not going to miss The opportunity to address the young men of Israel. And so he addresses them. And he wants them to learn on the cheap what cost him an awful lot. That it's all vanity apart from the God above the sun. I like what Tommy Nelson says. Ecclesiastes does for life what the song of Solomon does for love. It's a great statement. The audience, the author Solomon The dating is 931 B.C. at the latest. It's towards the end of Solomon's life and administration. I think the book of Ecclesiastes conveys that. This is the reflections of a man who has lived much, done much, seen much. And he's here to teach us much. The audience is, I believe, the upper crust of Israeli society. The royal family, perhaps. Political figures, emerging leaders, even visiting dignitaries. The covenant name of God, Yahweh, is not used once in this book, which is interesting. The more generic name for God, Elohim, is used, which may point to the fact that Solomon is addressing an audience wider than those within Israel. Maybe he's addressing those he's got alliances with in Egypt or Babylon, visiting dignities, the royal family. But Solomon indeed addresses them. The book is unintelligible if it is not assumed that the primary audience is an aristocratic one. The implied readers were people who were likely to have access to the king, the circle of power. They were people who could pursue wealth, not just as a fantasy, but as a reality. And they had leisure time for intellectual pursuits and reflection about life. That's the audience. And to some degree, I think the book of Ecclesiastes is within the Old Testament what Paul's address on Mars Hill is within the New Testament. He's the Koheleth. Perhaps at a particular audience, one day in the royal court, including some of the royal family, some of Israel's leaders, some of the young emerging jet set, and then there were some maybe friends or, 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 or uh, representatives from Egypt or from other countries. Solomon says, You know what? We're not going to address foreign policy today. We're not going to address domestic economics. I'm the preacher. I'm the Koheleth here. Let's talk about life. Have you ever found life to be vanity, empty? Have you ever wondered, is there a profit and a purpose to anything you do? Can you imagine the eyebrows go up, the ears prick up? And Solomon launches into a 45-minute discourse. That's probably how long it would have taken him to speak this. And he addresses the issue of the meaning of life in a mean world. He had a great audience that day. What's the purpose? This is a spin off from the audience. I think there's a twofold audience in mind or a twofold purpose to the book. It's a warning to the secularist that there's no happiness outside of God because there's no true good outside of this good God. And I think it also is a caution to the youth of Israel not to abandon their covenant with God. Not to be like a later generation. We read about them in Jeremiah 2 verse 13 that they forsook God, the fountain of living water, and they turned to broken cisterns that hold no water. What a metaphor. Israel left God. They thought there was a greater good outside of God, but there's no greater good outside of a good God. And they went to a pipe that was broken. There's no satisfaction. Drinking from a pipe that's broken. Why did you forsake the fountain of living water? That's Solomon's message to the youth of Israel. On the one hand he evangelizes the secularist. He wants the secularist to know. That he has lived the dream. That they dream of. He has had it all, done it all. He's been there. He's come back to tell us it's not worth the pursuit. That's the message he wants to get across. He's a star witness in the prosecution's case about living life under the sun apart from the God above the sun. Solomon speaks to the secular humanist, the atheist, the man who's got a flat earth view of life. He says, I've walked that road. And at the end of it, it's a dead end. It's fruitless. It's frustrating. When you get what you want, I want you to know you won't want what you get. You'll not be happy that you gave the best part of your life to the pursuit of this stuff. And yet life doesn't consist in the things that we possess. Fear God, keep His commandments. In the flow of the Bible, Ecclesiastes is pointing men to God and ultimately anticipating Jesus Christ. Because Solomon is telling them, hey, you've got to look above the sun to the one that created the sun and the stars and the heavens and the sea and and all that's in the sea and all that's on the earth and anticipates this marvelous reality we read about in the New Testament. We mustn't segregate the Old Testament from the New Testament because in the, in the Old Testament we have the New Testament concealed and in the New Testament we have the Old Testament revealed. And the amazing thing is there'll come a day, John tells us about it, when the Word, the one who was in the beginning with God became flesh. The God above the Son comes to life under the sun. To connect heaven with earth, man with God, time with eternity. That's why we need to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came from above, and the one who wants us to be born again, born from above. This book anticipates your need to trust God and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, that I have come that you might have life. And Solomon has told you, Jesus says in words, Hey, Solomon told you there's no life under the sun apart from the God above the sun. And I've come to give you that life. And that life will cost me my life as I die for your sin upon a Roman cross. And I will defeat death. And I will show that I am life itself. Henry Kissinger said this. These are good words. To Americans... Usually tragedy is wanting something very badly and not getting it. You've got this image of what life ought to be for you, what would make a good life from your perspective and you don't have it, you're going after it or you're frustrated that maybe you're not going to get there. And so that's tragedy for you. You don't like life where it is right now. Henry Christinger says to Americans usually tragedy is wanting something very badly not getting it many people have had to learn in their private lives and nations have had to learn in their history perhaps the worst form of tragedy is wanting something badly and getting it and finding it empty that other relationship you thought would bring you satisfaction that pay raise that better home that third car that exotic vacation did it do it for you? It didn't do it for Solomon. It was all vanity, all empty, all a soap bubble, all passing. It's not that those things are necessarily wrong. Certainly the relationship outside of marriage would be wrong, but the pursuit of of comfort or convenience, nothing wrong with that. So long as those things don't become idols. And when they become idols and take the place of God, then, then that which is sweet turns sour. And the gold crumbles in your fingers to dust. When you get what you want, you won't want what you get. Solomon's here to tell you that. He speaks to the secularist, the materialist. He speaks to the average person. And in closing, he speaks to the young people as we've said. If he evangelizes the secularist, I think he speaks to the young person who's thinking of giving the world a whirl. Solomon speaks to the backslider, the person who's toyed with the idea that, you know what, it's not worth it being a follower of God. Remember, Solomon was a follower of God. And then he goes into Bypath Meadow, to use a word from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He gets off the road. He gets away from God. And he, and he understands that temptation And he wants to speak to those who are coming up behind him, who are getting ready to run, to give the world a whirl, to live life under the sun. Forget that there's a heaven. Forget that there's a hell, in the words of of the Beatle John Lennon. He says, all that experience and all that escapade, it's nothing. It's the original lie. Eve bought it. Don't you buy it because it's still a lie. But there's a greater good outside of God. Because at its heart, you know what sin is? Sin is a dissatisfaction with God. Sin is saying, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm wiser than you. I'm better than you. Solomon is speaking to the young people and said, hey guys, fear God. Keep His commandments. This is where you'll find life. I've come back to tell you the road that you're standing At the beginning of is a road to nowhere. And when you've drank yourself silly and hopped from bed to bed and driven that car down the freeway, you'll still end up empty because there's eternity in your heart. And only a transcendent God can fill that hole in the heart. Solomon is waving a caution flag. Maybe you saw the NASCAR race. There's many different flags and sometimes the caution flag comes out and they wave it to tell the cars to stop or slow down. you know why? Because there's a rack ahead or there's oil on the track. And Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes is doing it to us all, but especially to the young people. The caution flag is out. Hey, don't go any further. Don't buy into the, the allurement and the attraction of the world there is pleasure in sin for a season, but it's not lasting pleasure. That pleasure is found at the right hand of God forevermore. Only God can fill the hole in your heart because you were made for Him. You were made by Him. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. And in this, man will find his all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the start of this new series. We love you. We love your word. Thank you. It's a light onto our path and a lamp onto our feet. And we have learned today the wisdom of your word is reminding us that there are certain paths in life that are roads to nowhere. Here's a man that did it all, saw it all, had it all. And he tells us, apart from God, it's empty, it's meaningless, it's fleeting, it's fool's gold. It's not worth anything. Oh, God, help us to hear that. If there's someone here today who doesn't know you, Help them to realize that man shall not live by bread or things alone, but by the very Word of God. May they find the One who came under the sun to take them someday to life above the sun. May we, Your people, listen to our friend Solomon who's teaching us a, a cheap lesson that comes at great cost to himself. Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't exchange your soul for the world. It's not worth it. You're getting diddled. You're getting robbed. Don't take stolen pleasures when the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen a
1: prayer, and a wake-up call from Philip Ticorsi on this daily Bible teaching program, Know the Truth. He's diving into a rich and meaningful study of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you missed any part of today's message, listen again online at ktt.org or order the complete study on CD when you call 888-644-8811. Now, it's no exaggeration that Know the Truth wouldn't be here without you. It's the financial support of faithful listeners like you that makes it possible for us to share the bold and convicting Bible teaching of Philip Decoursey all through the year. And today we hope you'll stand with us by making a generous donation to keep Know the Truth coming to you and others in your community. And when you give today, we'll send you Philip's newest book, addressing an all-too-common problem in our culture today. Anxiety plagues students, business people, mothers and fathers, pastors and retirees alike. So Philip has written a book that counters it with the truth of Scripture. The book is called Help, I'm Anxious. And no, Philip isn't just telling you to stop your worrying. He's giving you specific guidelines from Scripture to calm your nerves by claiming God's peace. Request the book Help, I'm Anxious when you make a generous donation of $25 or more to know the truth. Call right now, 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And when you visit our website, be sure to let us know how this ministry is impacting your walk with Christ. And if you're new to know the truth, we'd also like to send you a free CD message from Philip titled Handling the Pressure. It's another practical resource you can request at KTT.org. Again, that's KTT.org. That's all our time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Learn more about God's amazing total grace when you join us Friday on Know the Truth.
2: Are you curious about investing on your own ready to take a small step to make that happen i want to invite you to join tradeway for a powerful two-day event called step one start your journey where you'll gain a
0: strong foundation for how to trade in the stock market You'll leave the event equipped with the knowledge,
2: support, and confidence it takes to start trading on your own. And you don't need any previous experience to take this class. Come learn incredible techniques for how to protect your retirement and savings and see the potential for earning higher returns than your financial advisor. What if this two-day class changed everything for your family? Come give it a try. It's
0: a great step towards reaching your biggest goals. Join us at the National Conference Center in Leesburg, March 1st and 2nd. Only ninety nine ninety five for your entire household, plus a free ticket for a friend and a full money-back guarantee. To register, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. In his
2: play at